0: And now, live from Gut Check World headquarters in the capital city of a boxing love shaped state, it's the Gut Check Podcast with your hosts Tim Clark and Zach Forbes. All right, so this is uh, the Gut Check Podcast. Here we are, still at uh, Timothy's Fine Tobaccos in Bay City, Michigan. Uh, pretty much as we were just saying, our favorite uh, cigar shop and uh, uh, favorite smoke lounge in the world. You yeah, know.
1: yeah, it's beautiful. We've got uh, we've got dark leather chairs
0: uh, tons
1: of cigars, amazing selection, none of the depressing stuff that you kind of, kind of get in smoke shops nowadays. So there's no sort of, you know, bongs or, uh, you know, roll-your-own-cigarette yeah. kind, of, kind of stuff going on in here. It's just a uh, straight-up old-timey, classy vibe, great music playing in the background, and a bunch of friendly people.
0: And, and there's not like a walk-in humidor where somebody will follow you in and stare at you? Not that we've had that experience. And there's like three security Anything cameras? Yeah. yeah, yeah, many times. <laughs> All right, and we're here with uh, the proprietor and founder, Tim Socher. Say hello, hello Tim. Hello, Tim. Nice. And uh Tim we we were just talking about the last time uh we talked to you on the record was for the smoking book. Yeah. Christian um, gentleman smoking. Christian and and if you didn't put that together this is the the store that we uh kind of highlight in that book uh because it's what you're looking for in a uh a smoke shop.
2: Yeah, I got to agree with that. In fact, uh this last weekend I went away with my wife for a weekend our 34th wedding anniversary. Wow, dude, congrats. Thank you. And um I actually went into a smoke shop in another town and it was just like you said you walk in there's bongs and roll your own and all of that and I'm like wanting to smoke a cigar uh, had the the two chair the two chairs in the corner yep. you know where yep. you where oh, you yeah, could the sad sit chairs yeah them. very the two very sad, sad chairs yeah. and uh, and it was a very different experience from what we do here yeah. that's what I love about this place just if if you're looking for a very old school uh cigar shop that's that's what we got here yeah it's, it's
0: classy it is and, classy. and and the classy is being leached out of the cigar experience a bit at a time i feel like in most settings in america in places which is what makes this unique
1: now how did you come by this aesthetic i mean did this just kind of happen for you or were you very intentional about uh the kinds of things that you brought in and creating a certain kind of look and feel about the place
2: yeah it was very intentional In I don't want to sound weird, but I, I envisioned all of this. When I first got into cigars, no, I, I, I envisioned what I wanted the cigar shop to be, yep. and it really just just became out of uh, what I saw in my mind. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, it, it really, I, I saw this way before we even bought the building. I saw I knew what I wanted it to be like, and that's, that's what we got.
0: Dude. And this is a third location, and I, I've been in the other two. And you could tell that you weren't quite able to realize your vision, quote-unquote, until you got into this space.
2: Yeah, yeah, very true. In fact, we've had four because we started our shop in the living room of our house. Didn't quite have the the kind of ethos uh, with the No, no, but uh, this is we 're real happy with this, and uh, i 'm not hoping that uh, we 'll be here for a long long time.
1: yeah, and for people that don 't know we 're in an old building downtown, uh, kind of a historic district with the the old brick buildings and the the lofts above and the tin uh, roof, roof. it 's just uh, exactly the kind of kind of vibe that you want, you know about a million miles away from a strip mall or anything that feels uh, like that so Tim, uh, Zach and I know from experience kind of people people want to know. Uh, when you have a career that's, you know, that, that's interesting in, in some way that people kind of idealize, um, you know, as we know, there's there's good things about it. There are great things about it, but there are also really challenging things. What's, uh, one, of, what's one of the most challenging things about owning your own smoke shop? I mean, people think this must be a dream job, but there's got to be uh, some, some tough things about it, too.
2: Yeah, and uh, one word, government. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're right. We have a lot of people that come in the shop and they are like, oh, man, I want to work here so bad. Um, and it is great. I love the freedom and the flexibility that I have in doing this. I love the people that I meet in this shop. Our our biggest challenge, of course, has always been government uh, with all the restrictions and, and all the rules and regulations and everything they do to – uh, restrict us. It makes it real tough. Of course, the latest thing is I can't even offer you a, a cup of coffee. You know, right, we used to right. have a coffee pot here and you can't even do that anymore. So yeah. that's, that's frustrating.
0: Now, is that because there's tobacco or is it just because you're not licensed for food? Because there's a coffee pot at the bank that I go to every week and I bet they don't get you know inspected by the yeah. health department or anything.
2: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you go to your auto mechanic and you right. see a, a coffee pot in the corner just covered in yeah. grease and in yeah. slime and all, all right. that but uh, because of our the smoking restrictions in the state of michigan um i cannot even even if i had a license uh, a health department license to serve coffee yeah. i couldn't do that here because we allow smoking and there's all kinds of just wacky restrictions
1: it's frustrating okay. well i want to flip the question around then uh there's a lot about this that that must just be awesome you know at the end of the day uh, tell us a story or two about, uh, just some experiences that you've had here in the shop that where you've really gone home at the end of the night and gone, I have the best job in the world. You know, this is one.
2: That's up. every night, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I do have the best job in the world. I absolutely love what I do. One of the things that I'm most excited about is our Tuesday night Bible study, which is, uh, Bibles and cigars. And, uh, we have a good group of 15 to 20 men that gather uh, together and, uh, we take a look at God's word and we enjoy cigars. We share our lives together and, uh, it, it just makes my life very rich. Awesome. Um, that's one thing I could go on with many different stories of all the great people I've met in here. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good.
0: Now, when you come in here, it seems like everybody knows each other and they're all like busting each other's, let's say chops. Yeah. Um. What percentage do you think are regulars here, and what percentage are people who are who are kind of coming in as customers for the first time?
2: You know, I'm just pulling this out of the top of my head, but I would say 50% of the people that come in the store are regular regulars, like they're in here every week. Um, probably another 30% we see on a regular basis maybe every other week, and maybe 20%. Our new people, because we got the hotel down here, we have people come in from all different countries and in all different uh, areas from around uh, the United States. And uh, we kind of keep in track with them, too. So, yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things we love the most about cigars are the way that they bring people together, and they bring men together, especially for conversations. You know, we don't have much in our culture anymore uh about which that is the case you know people typically get together to watch a ball game or whatever and it's all about what's happening on the screen but i think there's uh there's something very uh community oriented and conversational about this kind of vibe and uh it's something that uh we definitely hope uh is protected and and restored and we hope that uh that you have many more years of of success to come
2: yeah thank you
0: all right thank you so much tim all right, and the last thing we want to do uh, today is get the rest of these questions out. Uh, as we were talking about last week, uh, I put up on Ted's uh, Facebook wall uh, about a month ago a call for some questions. We answered a good uh, seven or eight of them uh, last week. Ted answered them. Uh, and uh, I'm going to read the rest of them today. Uh, and these are just general questions uh, from Ted's fans and readers. And we, we will move on beyond. Let's see, I did Frank Turk. Uh, here's one okay. from Aaron. Ted, I've heard you speak eloquently about your uncle who was involved in the Chicago-organized crime scene. When will that story, either memoir or fictionalized, make it into print? I'd love to read a kind of guy-centered retrospective on family that spans gritty Chicago underbelly and in rural Indiana fields. Mm-hmm. You have just the right combination of ethos and pathos for that.
1: Wow, very, uh, very cool question. Very elo- eloquent, elegant and eloquent. Uh, so thanks, Aaron. Thanks for, uh, for asking um, that's a really tough one because I think it's hard to write about family, and it was a great uncle. And um, wait, it, he was who was like a, a quality uncle? He was your great uncle. <laughs> great uncle, yeah, great uncle, who I never met. You know, I don't. Oh, heard, okay. I'd only heard stories, and and the tough thing is there are a couple of tough things about that. One is the fact that you know most of the people who were really intimately involved in that and and the day to day and they had a speakeasy on the south side of chicago called the old barn which was a beautiful place you know very cool and and full of all these all these colorful characters and colorful stories i think you know everybody that was was closely associated with that has passed on uh, but i think i have enough of the story to piece it together but you know to a certain degree there there are things that you know are better left in the past sometimes so mm. i think i think what would be More realistic for me with that would be to take vestiges of that. Maybe it's just ideas. Maybe it's just kind of character types and plug them into different stories or or screenplays or things on down the line. But um, you know, it's one of those stories, and, and I'm sure you're this way sometimes too with your own family. There are things that that are so special because you know they're they're unique and kind of germane to your own family that you you almost don't want to share them with the world, and you don't want to share them with. Uh, with an audience, and for me, this story might it, it might fit into that category. You know, I have such respect and and such love for uh, people in my family, even people who are sinful and weren't perfect. That um, I don't know that I want to put all that out there, and I don't know that I want it, you know, uh, interacted with by by the world at large. Yeah, you don't
0: want to be reading the one star review about your own flesh and blood. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a sure. little too close. It would. it would. It would be really close. Not that it would get... I mean, just, this is a reference no, I to our, our segment last time when we yeah. read one-star yeah. reviews. Not, not assuming that you'd have a bunch of one-star reviews. All right, now how about uh, this one? It's kind of a tough one, so okay. um, kind of brace yourself. Okay, uh, This is from Sandy. Okay. Uh, she says, Tell him his classmate from Ashland University says, Hi! That's, that's the question. Oh, cool. Uh, I remember Sandy
1: from Ashland U., uh, it's where I did my MFA in creative nonfiction, and she was in the program as well, and uh, was a, a great classmate and a great writer. So, uh, hi, Sandy. That's
0: it? That's it. You're just going to say hi back? Well, yeah. I mean, well, she's, she, she, she said says, hi to me, and then I'm saying hi back. But she says they, hi with three exclamation points? That's um, kind of the
1: dynamic of the group, is where she says hi, and then I
0: also say hi. That was boring. So, All right. Yeah. I thought there was going to be some big backstory or something, like, you know, you saved her life, or... Well, also, I saved her life, but... <laughs> All right, here's, here's, a, here's a good one. Uh, Jack Douglas Beckley, what author inspired you to take up the profession? Dude, that's awesome. And uh, that's Doug Beckley, who
1: I went to high school with, I think. Uh, if it's the same, Jack Douglas Beckley. and uh, if so,
0: They're everywhere, though. Yeah.
1: If so, though, hey, great to see you, uh, old Blackford High School classmate. Um, yeah, I, I love that question, and I never get tired of, of talking about it because uh, when I was young, when I was probably in middle school, Uh, My dad came home from a trip, uh, from a business trip, with a book for me and it was Paper Lion by George Plimpton. And I didn't know anything about it at that time. Uh, My dad loved it because it came out kind of in his era in the 60s. And it was a story of a a really kind of high-end literary type. Plimpton ran the Paris Review and um, he went undercover for a few months uh, in the Detroit Lions training camp in 1963. So he uh, kind of infiltrated the camp as a player. And wrote this beautiful story about the experience. And it, and it was a story that kind of, it melded the worlds of literature and sports together in a way, uh, for me, that was really cool and really special. And it was, to this day, probably the, the best sports book I've ever written. So I think uh, Plimpton, for one, definitely. Uh, the other ones that I would mention, uh, when I first got married to my wife, Kristen... Um, she was very well read and, and into literature and these things in college at a time when I was really just into football. You know, I didn't really know who I was and what I wanted to do, but um, she gave me the book *The Catcher in the Rye* by J.D. Salinger, uh, which I just thought was so fresh and so funny, and, and the characters just jumped off the page for me in a in a special way. And I know that a lot of people have have had that interaction with the book. And then I think, you know, at this point, more uh, more modern day, uh, David Foster Wallace is the the author that I just go to time and time again for inspiration. Uh, if I'm ever feeling dry uh, as a writer, I always pull one of his books off the off the shelf. Whether it's the the nonfiction, the essays, or the or the fiction, uh, Infinite Jest, I always pull one of those books off and, and start to read it, and just find myself really inspired.
0: Just to state the obvious, your book uh, Paper, Paper Tiger, uh, Tiger was a play on
1: yeah, kind of an homage to Plimpton. I uh, I did the same thing. I ended up playing. Uh, for a season with an arena football team called the Battle Creek Crunch and, and sort of wrote about my experiences in a more a more modern context, so uh, but that was total, total homage to plimpton
0: and then of course, you also played uh, French uh, pro football
1: yeah I, I in france spent a couple months playing and coaching in France just this last year, which was awesome. I uh, played for uh, a team called the Sambriou Lacorns and uh, had just had the time of my life. amazing bunch of guys, really classy. Uh, good football players, and just was a blast. It was a, a total blast.
0: Those guys were all over your Facebook uh, during that, and even actually since then, and they seem really nice.
1: They are, um, yeah. They're just high, the, the best guys I've ever played with in terms of just being quality quality guys.
0: Now, are you gonna write that book then? Kind of uh, paper unicorn, or
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that'll be a whole book. Uh, part of that is actually uh, the preface to uh, to the 1987 NFL strike book. So I use oh, some of the nice. some of the okay. France content to kind of introduce the. The, the book about the NFL. So. Which
0: is going to be called, by the way, I don't think I mentioned the name uh, of the, the strike book.
1: Yeah, it's going to be called The Lost Boys, I hope. Hopefully they won't oh, change okay. the Oh, okay. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah th- those are scary things to talk about. Yeah. Um, Preemptively, because sometimes they change the titles. Yeah, okay. Very cool. And then there's one more question, and uh, I'll try to read it like I know anything about it. Okay. Uh, Ted, during bowl game season, I see a lot of U of M fans talking about how great the Big Ten conference is, literally bragging about how superior their arch-rivals OSU are, and other individuals coming out of the woodwork trashing other NCAA conferences. My question is twofold. This comes from Nathan Leamer, by the way. Leams. My question is twofold. Why are these people allowed to say things in public? (laughs) <laughs> and why has it taken so long for you to break into the podcasting world? Oh, two, two great questions. Well, Liam's first of all, to your first
1: question. Uh, unfortunately, we, we live in a world where a lot of people are allowed to say a lot of things in public. and uh, I think I why just you called your grandma
0: face? accidentally. It says Mimi call ended. I apologize, man. Oh, wow. How, uh, how long
1: were uh, we on with oh, that? Just like
0: half a second. Oh, and okay. I, I'm, I'm reading these questions off Ted's iPhone, and yeah. and I don't know how to work technology, I That's guess. Okay. That's <laughs> okay. that
1: 's okay. Uh, what was I saying, oh, about people being able to say things in public yeah, there it is uh, yeah I, I I think you know one of the one of the byproducts of the internet world that we live in with with Twitter and facebook and and all these things that can be great in terms of keeping us in touch is that it it gives a, a voice to just everyone, and uh, a lot of what uh, is said, I think at times is is really stupid, so um,
0: not on this podcast not on the, but... no
1: no gosh, no, not on this podcast. <laughs> We play it straight and serious on this podcast, which is one of the reason, reasons why I love our show and why I love us.
0: <laughs> why uh, I love us.
1: Yeah, and, and to your second question, Liams, about podcasting, um, I, I thought for a while, and this is going to sound kind of judgmental, but I thought the idea of two guys just sitting in a room, like talking into a microphone on their computer, was really sad. Uh, it felt kind of just sad and, and self obsessed to me, but uh, now that I do it, um, it, it is sad and self-obsessed, but it's also really fun, and, and the fact that it's fun definitely outweighs like the sad factor to me.
0: L- like, literally three weeks before we started doing this, and I think even after you had started doing The Happy Rant with, okay. with Barnabas Piper and Stephen um Which is another great podcast that you should listen to, by the way. But right before that, you, you had written that really funny chapter in Mega <laughs> that, that was just basically... Ripping the world of podcasts, uh, continual ripping of of uh, the idea of talking into the, this dot on your computer, and uh-huh. and the fact that no one is ever going to care about it. And and, <laughs> and and there's this you have to you have to read this if you haven't got mega. Um, it's a satirical look at at platform and self promotion. And uh basically, in the course of one podcast, this guy has like a mental breakdown and yeah. shuts down his whole world online. and I kind of did the opposite ironically. Right? <laughs> yeah, was, I joined no one like, saw it' coming.
1: I joined like three podcasts after that, so
0: <laughs> and opened an offshore bank account. and opened
1: an offshore bank account exactly for all the
0: money that's coming
1: in via my <laughs> podcast <laughs> Right.
0: That, and, and that was the thing, and not to give away all, all the funny, but the one of the the more astute parts in that in that chapter. Uh, it was, Chaz Marriott is the, the nom de plume that Ted uses in, in mega. And, uh, the podcast is called business and all that Chaz. And he says, uh, it may sound like I'm paraphrasing. It may yeah. sound like podcasting is just giving away product with the hopes that someday people who are getting your free product will decide to pay for your product. Right. And, and, and in that is the genius of it. That's yeah. the genius for sure. So,
1: <laughs> so we're giving away product here and, uh, and we're having a blast doing it. We, uh, we enjoy podcasting and, uh, and with that, we'll wrap this episode of the Gut Check Rest Podcast. So thanks for listening.